Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. The first reading is from the Old Testament, from the book of Joshua. It describes the scene when the children of Israel had crossed from wilderness into the land of promise, but before all was secure, the covenant was reestablished, and we hear this account beginning in Joshua 5, verse 9. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt, and so that this place is to be called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening of the 14th day of the month on the plains of Jericho. On the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Cana that year. This is the word of the Lord. Luke 15 is a story, has, has three stories in it. One is the story of a lost coin. One is the story of a lost sheep that Debbie shared with the children. And the third is the one I will read with you this day. Let us listen that we may hear what God is saying to us. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable, beginning in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that will belong to me. And he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living, where he spent everything. There was a severe famine that took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands." So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and he put his arms around him and he kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned before heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on his feet. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. 
For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder brother was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard the music and the dancing. He called one of the slaves and he asked what was going on. He replied, your brother came home and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then the older brother became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But the brother answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave to you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Several blocks from here up the street on 2nd Avenue, there is a church that has one of those signs that they change every so often. For the last several weeks, the sign has read, some people feel the rain, others just get wet. Hmm. When I first saw that, I went, that's interesting. But the more I pass by that sign, the more I am convinced that there is something there. Do you feel the rain or do you just get wet? When it's one of those cold, blustery days and there's a downpour and you have to travel some distance, you have to walk some distance outside, you have your jacket and, and your hood pulled up over it. Do you feel the rain when, when it collects on the rim of the hood and it drops down on your face? You feel the cold? Maybe you're out so long that it soaks through your coat, and do you feel the, the tinge of sensation when it touches your skin? Soon it will be really warm and summery, and the summer rains will come. Do you feel the rain when you're outside in a thunder, summer thunderstorm and it, it soaks through you? And you feel refreshment? And your insides giggle a little bit? Do you feel that? Or do you just get wet? Soaking wet. I think the difference between feeling the rain and getting wet might be the difference between the two brothers in this story of the lost son. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal meaning living lavishly in lifestyle and wasting a lot. But that word prodigal is something that we have attributed to it. It's not there in the Scripture, but it's certainly there. And the focus is easily cast on that younger brother who takes the portion of his inheritance. Can you imagine the audacity of saying, Dad, I want what's mine. I'm getting out of here. The audacity. And then 
He leaves and he goes to the New Testament equivalent of Las Vegas where nothing is remembered. But we know that there are always cameras there anyway, so we, we be careful about what we do. But he's gone and he li lives a, a lavish and a sumptuous, a, a wasteful lifestyle. And there's that older brother who stands and wonders, what's in this for me? How, how dare this younger brother of mine take what he has had and runs away? They are both in different sorts of wildernesses. The younger one is in the wilderness of, of spending all that he's had and, and throwing it away. He's undisciplined. He's dissipated. He's a wretch. He wastes it all. And he is in a place where he has had choices to make. But I think there's an, another wilderness, and that's the wilderness of the older brother. He is surrounded by his father's bounty. He works in the family business, but he does not have any joy. He feels enmity toward his younger brother who has the audacity to ask for something and then who executes a plan. Maybe, maybe the older brother was jealous. Maybe that's what the older brother wanted to do. It doesn't really say that, but maybe it's possible. The older brother lives in a spiritual wilderness as well. It is not a place of debauchery or dissolute living, but it is a place where he has lost his soul even amidst all the things that are familiar. That image of wilderness is powerful in our Christian imagination. Sometimes we think of the wilderness as a desert. And when the word desert tickles into your ears, what do you hear? Do you hear the Sahara Desert pictured? The sand dunes with the blowing grains of sand? Or, or maybe the um, great desert that's in the in Death Valley in California? Or maybe some other desert that you've pictured, or maybe you've even been there. We see images all the time for these difficult and desolate places. They are wildernesses. They are places that are devoid of life, or seemingly so. They're places that, deserts are places that do not have enough moisture to sustain much growth, but they can sustain some. When the children of Israel left Egypt, God said to them, I will give you a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day to mark your journey through this wilderness. And then when they complained that they were hungry, God gave them food, manna from heaven. One morning they awoke and there was the ground covered and they said, what is it? And that's literally what manna means. That's the meaning of the Hebrew word. What is it? What is it that's on the ground here? What is this that we are to eat with? What is it? How can we be provided with this what is it in life? But then there came a day when that what is it ended. After the children of Israel had arrived into the land of promise, 
And before they were fully secure in chapter 5 of Joshua, it says, the what is it ended, and they ate what the land provided. Before they had gone around the city of Jericho the seven times and the walls came tumbling down, the what is it ended, and they were left to make their way on the bounty of the earth. When we find ourselves needing the what is it of manna, we know that we are in a wilderness. But also, when we find the what is it of manna disappears as it will, we find ourselves in a different kind of wilderness, in a different kind of need. We have our stories of faith and life, and we seek to make meaning out of them. Presbyterian minister and author Frederick Beekner tells a lot of stories. He wrote this about the storytelling process. He says, our stories are all about searching. We search for a good self to be and good work to do. We search to become human in a world that tempts us always to be less than human or looks to us to be more. We search to love and to be loved. And in a world where it is often hard to believe in much of anything, we search to believe in something holy and beautiful and life-transcending that will give meaning and purpose to the lives we live. We search for the what is it. We search for that part of our inheritance that will let us have meaning. Sometimes, though, we get bored in our searches. Sometimes we may feel like we have been betrayed by others that we trust. Sometimes we may even become a little bit mischievous. And so we go down different paths. We take different roads, and we find ourselves in a wilderness, the wilderness of the younger son who was living a desolate life, or the wilderness of the older brother who was around, surrounded by all the things that were familiar. We search for meaning and we hope in goodness, and we latch on to those things where they are. Sometimes we, we look at the other side of the tracks. The, the grass is always greener, and we seek to, to go that way. But sometimes, maybe more often than we want to admit, we hold on to what we have. We glorify the past. We refuse to let new learning shape our understanding of the past, and we refuse to let new learning shape our possibilities for the future. We become satisfied. It was good enough for my ancestors, so it's good enough for me. We allow our soul to be sucked out for the convenience and maybe for medical insurance coverage. We make deals and we find a reason to stay put. Maybe not geographically, but 
emotionally and spiritually just to stay where we are. We are in those days and those times in a soul-sucking wilderness. Then something happens. Somehow our world is rocked. What we thought wouldn't happen doesn't. We come home and we find that the Father we thought we knew has received those who ran away back into the household. What about us? We were loyal. We were good. We, were, we never left. What about us? What have you given us? This week, Pat Conroy died. He was the author of several popular and some powerful bestsellers, The Water is Wide, The Prince of Tides, The Beach Music, South of Broad. You may have known or heard of some of these, but he is probably best known for the way he wove autobiographical details of his life, particularly as the child of a military family, into his fiction. One of those works became a movie called The Great Santini, starring Robert De Niro. Another was The Lords of Discipline, which told of a fictional military college in South Carolina. That military college, some thought, was based on the Citadel, the military college of South Carolina. Conroy actually was a graduate of the Citadel. He never applied. His father did. He didn't want to go there. Gave him a lot of material to write about, too. When the Lords of Discipline appeared in the late 70s and early 80s, many people associated with the Citadel took umbrage at it. They felt like this fictional college was not so fictional, and it told stories of hazing and horrible racism. And they rejected the one who told the story. Conroy's relationship suffered, not with everybody there, but with enough people. And he found himself in a wilderness of being cast out. The rift damaged his relationships. But as the years went by, the rift was tended to and eventually it was mended. And in 2001, Pat Conroy gave the commencement address at the Military College of South Carolina. Now, I am not a Citadel graduate, and I am not a South Carolinian, but I do enjoy his writing, and I think he has powerful stories to tell. And certainly, The Lords of Discipline was one of those stories. The Lords of Discipline begins with this line, the very first line, I wear this ring. Conroy told the graduating class of the Citadel in 2001, he said, I think it is the best line I have ever written and the best English sentence I am capable of writing. I guess many authors, like many preachers, look for that good line, that one line that you want to claim credit for for all time. I wear this ring. He was proud of that. And even though the Lords of Discipline tells the story of a fictional place, it is obvious that the statement was meaningful to him about how he felt 
about his alma mater, about his college. In a real way, he was in a wilderness from that college. It was not the wilderness of the prodigal son nor that of the older brother. It was a wilderness that came about when there are differences of opinions and convictions that something better is possible. Maybe by telling a story, I can shape some part of our future together. And that took him to a place that was like a wilderness, like a barren land. The way out of that wilderness for Conroy and for the Military College of South Carolina came through his writing. He wrote more. This time, he explicitly wrote about the Citadel. My Losing Season was the title of a book that tells the tale of the basketball team of the Citadel in 1966-67. It so happens that Conroy played on that team. And you can guess from the title of the, of the book, My Losing Season, that it was about a team that lost and a season that lost. But else, what else was gained? As he prepared to write the book, he interviewed classmates. And one of the classmates that he interviewed was a man by the name of Al Kraboth. After graduation, Kraboth went on to be a Marine pilot in Vietnam. He was shot down and held captive by the Viet Cong and then the North Vietnamese. The, in their interview time, they talked not simply about the basketball season, but also about how that shaped and prepared him for those years in captivity. And eventually, he was released. But he told Conroy that as he was prepared to be released, to come back to the United States, even before he arrived back here in the States, he came across another classmate who was also in the service, Johnny Vaughn. Vaughn had been a cheerleader for that losing season team. And Vaughn asked Kroboth if he still had his Citadel ring. He did not. The captors had taken it. He had lost it. It was gone. So Vaughn said to Kroboth, he said, here, take my ring. I don't want you returning home without wearing a citadel ring. Kraboth didn't want to take it, but he did, and he put it on. Conroy had written the line, I wear this ring without knowing the story of Al Kraboth and Johnny Vaughn. But he knew what it represented. He knew that the ring was a symbol of identity and connection that transcended war. It transcended imprisonment. It transcended hazing. It transcended all of the uncertainties in life. That ring was a symbol for what united and brought those men together. When he was speaking to the graduating class in 2001, Conroy told this story, and then he segued. 
And he said, I have an invitation to you. I want you, class of 2001, I want you to come to my funeral whenever it is. And given the news that he just died this week, this makes this story, I think, even more powerful. I want you to come to my funeral. I've told my family, and they will make preparations for you. And all you have to do is come to the church where the service is held, find an usher, and hold up your hand and say, I wear this ring. As I said, I am not a Citadel graduate, but I am profoundly moved by the power of this story for the way in which the symbolism cuts through all of the wilderness experiences that were experienced by these people. Isolation and exile, war and captivity, disputes over practical matters of governance and how and who is involved, the ring cut through. There are ways, there are things that hold us together when we wander into the wilderness of life. Sometimes when we go into wildernesses, we do exactly what the older and younger brother did. We flee. We run as far away from what we can. Sometimes we stay put, but we cut off our emotional connections. And sometimes we are sent into exile. But there is a place where our soul resides, even in the wildernesses. And that is the place of looking for what is in life. We look for that what is it that God provided for the children of Israel, the manna in the wilderness and then the land of promise. We look for the what is it that we find hope for. And as disciples of Jesus Christ or as people who want to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we have another symbol, not a ring, but another symbol. It is the symbol of the cross. And it is that symbol that guides us in our wilderness experience. It is that symbol that we look to, to cut through times of exile and isolation, of war and difficulty. It is that symbol that we lift up and that we follow. For the power of life is found in the midst of suffering. So, tell me, do you feel the rain, or do you just get wet? Thanks be to God. Amen.